Have you ever considered how the dynamics of closeness change when confronted with a kidney cancer diagnosis? Or what showing vulnerability means when you're trying to process emotions you have yet to understand? Hi, and welcome to Kidney Cancer Unfiltered, the podcast by the Kidney Cancer Association, diving deep into the raw stories of kidney cancer patients and survivors. I'm Anna Maria Scotcha, your guide through the real unfiltered experiences that often go untold. Today, we are joined by John Farrell from the KCA's Patient and Caregiver Advisory Council and Nicole Goble, Director of Community Initiatives at the Caregiver Action Network. Together, we'll dive deep into the complexities of intimacy and relationships when living with cancer or loving someone who has cancer. From the profound impact on self-perception to the art of communication and regular check-ins, We'll look at the unique challenges faced by both patients and caregivers. We'll also offer some strategies for managing the unpredictable dynamics that come with a cancer diagnosis, ones built on empathy and mutual support. So get ready for an honest conversation on intimacy and relationships that goes beyond the surface of our connections. John, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation. If you could, I would love for you to both introduce yourselves, kind of give a background of your story, and then we could go from there. Sure, I guess I'll go first. Uh, So my name is John Farrell. I'm based here in Austin, Texas. Um, I am a kidney cancer uh, survivor slash warrior. I was originally diagnosed in 2010 with stage three uh, clear cell renal cell carcinoma, had my right kidney removed, and uh, went back under surveillance. Um, So remained uh, cancer-free for uh, seven years and uh, became uh, stage four in uh, 2017 um, and have been kind of in and out of uh, uh, remission or no evidence of disease for for the past uh, six years or so. So uh, I've uh, gone through several clinical trials and um, and, and currently in a trial right now uh, where we're treating any kind of um, uh, new uh, lesions that pop up with um, uh, technology instead of drugs. So SBRT, ablations and so forth. So, um, so far so good and uh, happy to be here today. Awesome. Yeah. Hi, my name is Nicole Goble and I am the current uh, director of community initiatives at Caregiver Action Network. I've been with the program, uh, been with the organization for, uh, I guess, six years now. Um, What does time mean anymore? Um, And do a lot of work uh, with family caregivers. So really lead a lot of our engagement in roundtables and just having ongoing communication and network building with family caregivers across the lifespan because we are an organization that uh, serves family caregivers, um, all 90 million plus family caregivers in the US. Um, one thing that is unique about our organization, um, and I, I think this is probably a little bit part and parcel with a lot of uh, organizations in this field and similar to ours is that we all have personal connections to family caregivers, uh, to family caregiving and, and family caregivers. Uh, we've been family caregivers, we currently are, um, or we have been uh, in the past. And so I was a uh, family caregiver for my grandfather who was diagnosed with bone cancer um, and am a current uh, family caregiver for my mom with advanced COPD, and I'm also someone with a disability, uh, Turner syndrome. So my mom and I are kind of each other's long distance family caregivers. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's a good segue into the first um, question that I had, or at least the first topic that I wanted to touch on. So one thing I noticed um, being a survivor myself and also having been a caregiver for someone else in the public, if you will, it's caregiving is often talked about in this way of like what one person is doing for another, right? Like the stress of what one person is doing for the other and the stress that the person who's being cared for feels. Uh, but we never really 
go deep into the dynamics of like intimacy and relationships. It's mostly around what one is doing for the other around the physical medical part of it. So, and either one can start, but I would love to get your thoughts on, you know, how, how has, well, we could start first with relationships and then kind of go into intimacy. How has your relationship really been either challenged or strengthened by this experience with cancer, with disabilities? Yeah, I can I can start. And I, I did mention that I am not only a patient, but I was also a caregiver. My wife is a breast cancer survivor. So she did the whole chemo, radiation, double mastectomy, reconstruction, the, the whole bit. So we've we've uh, as a couple have had to um you know deal with deal with being uh, not only the patient but the caregiver to each other and you know from a relationship standpoint um you know there there's obviously been struggles of of you know just how do we how do we care for another in this new in this new uh normal uh, if you will but you know as a whole i would say that it has brought us closer um it has renewed uh, our um, relationship uh, with each other uh, in, in different ways, right? We've got to know each other in, in ways that um, we haven't had to deal with in the past. You know, I've been married almost 25 years now, and, um, you know, it, the past, you know, 10 years have been, you know, kind of a give and take, you know, with us as we've gone through um, these diagnoses. And, and thank God that we weren't going through it at the, at the same time in between my initial diagnosis and my reoccurrence is when she was diagnosed and, and with the breast cancer. And she also um, had a, a benign meningioma brain tumor as well. So, uh, so we've been through um, some challenges, um, you know, in a relationship standpoint, and, and it certainly brings out, um, you know, the worst, but also the best. And um, we, we've powered, powered through those challenges. And, and as a whole, it has made us stronger as a couple. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, when you are an individual that's going through an illness and you are getting care from a spouse um, or a partner, um, in particular, relationship dynamics um, are always going to be a little bit impacted um, because there's a whole new element now to that relationship um, uh, of care. And that can be really difficult um, for, for folks in making that transition. And, and I love kind of the use of the phrase the new normal uh, because we use that pretty frequently as well. Um, but it's something that a lot of people just don't, um, don't anticipate and don't expect. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, they they find themselves in a different uh, position in their relationship. And that's always really difficult. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's normal. And there are certainly lots of uh, ways that I think, depending on your caregiving situation and, and all of the, the factors that you can at least help um, you know, kind of keep that uh, in check as much as possible. Yeah, and I was, I, I think you both answered in a way that actually relates to this um, question I'm about to ask. So for myself and my relationship, I think what I had, what we had difficulty going through, through my first cancer um, experience is I had a background in caregiving, not just for my former partner, but also my grandparents. And so for me, being a caregiver is something like I understood the dynamics of it, but my partner at that time didn't have to ever go through caregiving. And so he wasn't you know, familiar with what comes with that. And so I think during my first cancer experience, that's what made navigating those dynamics a lot more difficult. But what I wanted to ask was, did you find both John and Cole, the fact that you had that experience with caregiving. I'm not necessarily sure, Don, for you, which came first, right, in terms of cancer experiences, but does having a caregiving background, if you will, help with navigating those dynamics or is there still a bit of the same kind of tensions? 
Yeah, you know, and I'll kind of flip that. So having the, the patient experience and having uh, caregiving been been provided to me, uh, I think it helped me when my wife was diagnosed uh, uh, with the breast cancer. After me, from uh, I was I was kind of more the tough love caregiver. Like, you know, come on, let's suck it up. We got to power through this. Don't feel sorry for yourself. You know, remain positive um, because that's what helped me from a patient uh, experience um, get through this. So, um, and I think at times she was a little bit kind of shocked, like, hey, I just want to be taken care of. And, and uh, you know, where I was kind of like, you know, hey, let's go, let's get up, let's go exercise, let's do this, let's do that. Um, as opposed to letting her, you know, uh, feel bad and feel sick. Granted, you know, our cancers were very different and our treatment options were very different. Um, you know, from, from a, you know, she had chemo and radiation, which is a very, very high effect on my body, uh, on her body. Um, whereas my treatment was a little bit um, different. I, you know, yes, I had immunotherapy and I had side effects, but it wasn't as physical yeah. as a breast cancer treatment. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, I didn't have caregiving experience, but, you know, having been the patient, uh, I think helped me provide, provide, you know, kind of that care for her, or at least know what she may want or not. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, oftentimes you, whether you've gone through a situation where you had the experience of being a caregiver and then you find yourself um having a diagnosis and how being a care recipient um or you know either kind of order that you go in i think the experiences can really be beneficial um just from a personal experience um i had open heart surgery um not too terribly long ago and my partner at the time um, it was good that I had some caregiving experience, having cared for my grandfather, um, you know, following a couple of his surgeries and with my mom, um, because it helped. And obviously working at Caregiver Action Network was pretty beneficial too. Um, but, uh, it was helpful to be able to say, okay, I have the practical experience of, of understanding how I can explain what I need. Um, and I know ways that I can explain certain parts of the care so that it makes sense. Um, and so that has, um, so that was really, I think, beneficial. And then, you know, being someone that was born with a disability and, you know, my grandpa said, I trust you because you've, you've been on this side of things. Um, and you understand, you know, when I say I'm in pain, you have a different understanding of that. So, yeah, I think don't, I, I think it is really beneficial. Um, and it does help with communication. I think for first and foremost, at least from my personal experience, it helps being able to put things uh, in ways back and forth that make things understandable and much more smooth. And I think that's a good segue into talking about intimacy. So not just physical, but emotional intimacy. How did you, John, this is more, uh, this is for both of you, but John, I'd love you, for you to start. How did you find yourself, you know, handling the issue of intimacy? Like was intimacy impacted for both of you or for yourself? Yeah, I, I definitely would say so. And, and kind of going back to the, the point I made about, you know, our cancers being very different, um, you know, as you know, uh, RCC, you know, we don't, we don't look like a typical cancer patient. Yeah. So we, you know, it's all kind of in the inside and I've never really been symptomatic and, you know, you don't lose your hair like a typical uh, cancer patient does. Um, whereas for my wife, you know, she went through a complete physical transformation, you know, she lost her yeah. hair, she had a double mastectomy, she, you know, uh, went through reconstruction, you know, after, after some time. So, you know, our, our 
physical, um, uh, you know, well-being was certainly affected, uh, you know, from from what it, what it was, you know, prior to to us being diagnosed. And you know, I was diagnosed first, so um, you know, a lot of my um, my uh, unwillingness to um, be intimate or or feel intimate, whether that's emotionally or physically was because I was, you know, uh, you know, it's first, you know, first went through a, a radical nephrectomy and, you know, I had a big scar down the middle of my, you know, below my stomach. And, you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, physically did not feel, um, you know, like I was before. So I didn't feel, I guess, normal, if you will, um, you know, felt that I was a little disfigured and, and so forth. So, yeah. Um, you know, fast forward to, um, you know, to when I was re-diagnosed and I was going through a systemic therapy and I was going through immunotherapy, you know, I was tired. I, I had no energy to, to, to do, um, you know, uh, anything, much less uh, be intimate with my partner, um, you know, emotionally or physically. I, you know, didn't, we didn't, you know, have conversations like we normally did. We, um, you know, it, it changed. So, uh, you know, going through that, that change was um, certainly uh, different for us. And um, uh, again, we, we found ways to, to power through it. Um, and uh, to, with her diagnosis, again, it was very physical. You know, she, she, you know, for a long time, she didn't have any hair. Uh, for a long time, she didn't have any breasts. So, um, so you know, it, it was just, again, kind of a new normal and working, working through, you know, some of those changes. And and, um, you know, it, it found that it was deeper than, than, than a physical uh, appearance, yeah. you know, that, that kind of brought us closer. So, Oh, I was just going to say that that's, I, I think that's often something that a lot of people don't realize is that you are, there's a, the physical component, I think, of recovery, um, as well, especially like if you've undergone surgery um, or are going through some uh treatment that's ongoing and, and has that physical impact. But it's also just, um, I think for both the individual that's going through it and the caregiver, it's just a lot of adjustment to the newness of what that can do. Um, that can be, I think, unexpected and uh, one of those hurdles take it over. Um, John, you had made a, a point that just articulated a lot of what I think sometimes about my own body is like feeling disfigured from the scars. And, you know, I think when it comes to our CC and maybe even other cancers that don't have that very physical representation of it, uh, it could be kind of, you know, hard to articulate or maybe not part of the discussion of how just even having scars can impact how we feel about ourselves. I know I just went through thyroid cancer and part of the treatment is, you know, suppressing my TSH levels and like getting into a very hypothyroid state. And one of the symptoms of that is like losing your hair and like hair loss. And that's been getting worse. And just, um, and what, when you were talking, I just thought about that. I'm like, wow, no, that actually is something that I think I'm worried about internally in terms of like, what does this mean for the way I look? Like, will I continue to be attracted? Like, if I lose that hair, am I going to be attractive to my partner still? Like how, because for women particularly, like hair is a thing, right? Like hair is like, I mean, for anyone really, right? It's like, there's such an importance that we place to our hair that uh, it was just, it just made me think about all the different ways that like, even if our treatment isn't chemo, you know, long lasting into survivorship, that we can just not feel like ourselves enough to have that physical intimacy, which ends up impacting the emotional intimacy. Cause then you like, maybe for some people, I know for myself, you kind of, kind of shut down. Um, and I know I just went on a rant, but it's just, it's, it's, it's quite interesting how much there's so like, it's so involved in this topic. No, absolutely. Like I didn't want to take a TKI because I didn't want my hair to turn white. Right. So I, I don't dye my hair, although it kind of looks like it is pretty dark, but uh, for, for my age, but uh, I've got good, good genes, but, uh, <laughs> but I, you know, that was one of my biggest fears is like, Oh, I don't want to take Sutin or Votrin or one of those because I don't want my, my hair to turn white. You know, that, that, that it's that, that physical thing. Um, 
So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it's true. It, it, and I didn't think that it would, you know, I would, you know, hey, be affected by a scar or, or whatever the case is. But, but, you know, it, it you know, in hindsight, it, it did, it did kind of bother me. So. Yeah. And I mean, I um, completely understand, like, again, you know, I have a scar on my neck and I look at it sometimes and I'm like, again, you're just in your head. It's like, oh, I'm disfigured. Like these scars on my body, like, <laughs> Oh, I'm like, I'm Frankenstein now. Right. Or yeah. Frankenstein's monster. Let's be correct. I need to be correct. It's like, I'm Frankenstein's monster now. And it just, I think, you know, again, we don't necessarily put voice to it. Right. Until like, we're in those moments staring in the mirror at ourselves. And like, yeah. I don't know, for me, it's just realizing how much it kind of impacts a day to day sometimes. Right. Nicole, what, what do you think about this? Like, what is your, you know, as, as an expert here and, and in your own personal experience, you know, what, how can we, I guess, get past that? Like the way we look at ourselves after treatment, during treatment and the impact on intimacy. I think in having gone through not what, what you guys have spoken to so beautifully, but just in kind of personal experience, yes, like scars and things like that, it, it does impact our own relationship with our bodies. And that is, that's something that we have to, to work with. And that's something that we have to, uh, you know, continue that challenge each and every day. Um, I think that, um, just open communication, open and honest communication with our loved ones about how we're feeling and, and how we're processing things. What are reactions to um, to this experience is, is vital because they can't understand if we, we don't put it to words for them. Um, and it, I know when I've had surgeries and I feel disfigured, um, I have a big scar down my chest um, and it's hard. Um, I, I, it took me a long time to feel a little bit more comfortable with it, but it was so important that I, I put voice to that to, to my partner so that there wasn't a situation that would come up to where I would be upset because they didn't understand with me not completely going through the process of, well, they don't understand because I haven't told them. I haven't sat down and said, look, this is how I feel about this. Um, and yeah, maybe they think I'm, I'm going to be silly about it or they can have their own feelings. But if I'm putting it out there, we can have those conversations um, and it can help build to, I think, our own, I think it, it makes it easier for us to process on our own as well. But I think um, the open communication part of it, that is so, so important. I definitely wasn't perfect about it. I don't know about you, John. Um, I was, I even this time around, I ha haven't been 100% perfect about it, even though I knew better and I learned better. But I would love to talk about open communication in terms of emotional intimacy, right? You know, that's that's the interplay, right? You know, you, you may feel this way physically, you may have a certain relationship with your body, but our partners aren't mind readers, we're not mind readers, even though we would love for that to be the case. So Nicole, I'd love you to talk more about open communication as a necessity in order to have that emotional intimacy or at least to be able to navigate the challenges of it in a healthy yeah, way. Absolutely. Um when I think you're going through an illness, um there's so much that is going on in your head um that you're just kind of you know, in conversation with yourself, um, it feels constantly. And the ability to share 
some of that with with the with the loved ones with your partner um and and with other folks that are very close to you um because emotional intimacy i think um is so valuable as just part of that caregiver and care recipient relationship again it's about being able to communicate what i need um and also for the caregiver for yeah. a partner to to share how they feel to say i feel really uncomfortable like having to give you these injections every day um this is something that i'm going to have to get used to it's not that it i have a certain reaction to it it's just it's different and i i've never had to do this before so being able to it seems it doesn't seem like oh that's emotional intimacy but it's such a an important piece of it because it's being able to say okay well i need help with this is this something that you're going to be able to do um and again going back to sharing um you know some of those really challenging emotions it's easy to i think share when we have a good sense of what a reaction will be um when we can kind of play out a conversation in our head when we bring something up uh you know it's always scary to go into uncharted territory and so when you're bringing up a, a difficult topic um that can be really hard um and so that additional security is is i think assuring but um it's so important that when you are having these really challenging feelings um it's about your yourself your body um your illness you're you're struggling with something to be able to put that out there and use that to form that closer connection um is so helpful because again it's letting them in letting them know a little bit more about what you need where you are um and it's also you know i feel that every time that you are able to share in that way it's an open invitation for them to do the same um it's saying i'm doing this because i feel that it's important that you can do this to you know for yourself as well that you can come to me so i think that it's uh you know that open communication is important because it's really about it going both ways so that everyone feels heard um and supported by each other in that dynamic i think though that is part of the emotional int intimacy because there's that vulnerability in one saying what you need and there's that vulnerability in being on the end of that and accepting what the person is saying i think just thinking about life experience talking to other people i think both caregivers and the recipient of care are believe that they need to be strong right i feel like at the end of the day there's this assumption that we need to be strong, either that we're not letting our illness hold us down and resilient, or that we're always going to be there for that person. And we have to put down our own emotions in order, in order to kind of put them first. And so it's like, we're kind of going through the same thing. Um, two sides of the same coin to be cliche, but having that open communication really just exposes that vulnerability in a way that makes you understand each other more. How would, how would you both react to that? Yeah, I I agree, and it's funny listening to uh, kind of Nicole and the, and the the females take of it because guys in general are not very open, um, yeah. and and uh, 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 females I think are you know have no problems or you know it's easier for them to to uh, express their emotions at least that's how how my wife and I are right so that was a that was a, a an adjustment for me to um, be able to open up more and and being able to um, tell her you know yes I, I would like you to do this or help me with this or no I do not need your help whatever the case is 
And, and I think a lot of times, you know, people just like to shut down and, and, you know, hey, I got this. I don't want to bother anybody. I just want to deal with this on my own. But, but it's important to open up and it's important to share those feelings because, um, you know, the more you hold them in and, and the, the more it just, you know, compounds and, and it'll, it'll um, you know, eventually come to a head and you, you may explode. So, but um, it, it is, it is important to, to open up. And that was a big challenge for me being a, being a, being a guy, um, uh, you know, whereas, you know, my wife, she, you know, didn't have any problems letting me know what she needed help with or, Hey, leave me alone. I don't, I don't need any help right now. I just kind of want to be, be left alone, whatever the case is. So it, that, that was a big, big dynamic for us. Well, and I think from a, from another perspective too, and I, I, I love how you framed, uh, framed the statement of, you know, everybody has to, to be strong everyone is expected to be strong i think for for caregivers um there's that that pressure and you know i i certainly cannot tell my loved one that i'm caring for i'm struggling and i'm not going to be able to eat like I, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know, you know, how I'm going to be able to juggle all of this, how next week we're going to make it to all of these doctor's appointments when, you know, the kids have these appointments and how are we going to do it all? And being able to, I think, again, show that vulnerability, express a need um, and concern. Um, I think that there's that real struggle for, for caregivers because it's we have to to do it all we have to carry everything on our shoulders and be supportive and strong which we can but we can also be vulnerable and share hey i'm really struggling and i need some help um so you know when we're having these big conversations, I would like to to start having that included. Like what are some things that we can be doing so that I can get a break, you know, have time to go and run a few errands or just have some time so I can, you know, go back to book club uh, yeah. on the weekend or, you know, go play uh, a game of whatever. Um, so yeah, I think, it's, you know, again, that vulnerability going both ways. And um, it's definitely uh, one of those things that we don't think about the the real detrimental impacts that it, holding back can mm -hmm. have, um, you know, in wanting to be strong. Um, for example, my, my grandfather, uh, when he was diagnosed with cancer, he hid his diagnosis from the entire family because my grandmother had COPD and was in kind of uh, the final uh, handful of months of her life and didn't want to say anything because wanted us all to focus on grandma and didn't want to do anything that would take the focus away from her or get her you know, worried about him, concerned about him. And so by the time that he ended up telling us the cancer had progressed to mm -hmm. a point that, you know, treatments were, uh, you know, we, we had cut down a few of our options. And, you know, I, you obviously understand that decision but, you know, as his grandkid, I was so mad. I said, Grandpa, why didn't you say anything? We could have been helping you too. We could have, yeah. like, it, we, we could have been there for you. And, and so it's, it's hard. And it's just something that you have to kind of sort through every day to figure out, okay, what, what's the next step here? What? What conversations do we need to have? What are the pain points and how can we work together to get around them? 
Yeah, it always feels like a very like either or, never a both and kind of thing. And it, something you had said made me think, um, both of you had said, maybe think about the ways that we can be vulnerable, right? For myself, I I shut down, right? You know, I, I wasn't one to express what I need. I just wanted him to know, I wanted my partner to know what I needed because it was, it's just very hard for me to not be that strong warrior, right? Like it's hard for me to not uh, break that archetype. But I think one thing I learned for myself going into the thyroid cancer experience is figuring out the way that felt most comfortable for me to be vulnerable. So maybe it wasn't telling him I'm afraid of dying. Maybe it was just simply asking him, hey, can you go to the store for me? Hey, can you manage this? Hey, can you watch my son? Hey, can you take him there? Like asking him to do those physical things. I think once I did that, it allowed me to be more open, you know, really with that deep deep kind of stuff you want to talk about is that an experience maybe for you John that you had or how were you able to find ways to be vulnerable whether you know however yeah. maybe yeah no that's that's you make a good point because when I when I was re-diagnosed um in 2017 I entered into a clinical trial and that clinical trial required me to uh, live in Houston for, for the first 30 days and then go back every week and I did that for two years and, you know, at first, you know, um, my wife wanted to be there and be there, but it was, it was hard on her. And I could see that it was hard on her, you know, knowing that, hey, I'm stage four, you know, we don't know if this is going to work. Um, we, you know, we all know what, what stage four means. And we all look at the statistics and, and so forth. And, and I think, you know, it, it, it would affect her more than it affected me. I, I felt like sometimes I was kind of comforting her as the caregiver saying, Hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You know, where there's a lot of options, a lot of treatment options. So as I progressed through that clinical trial, you know, it was important for me to, for our family to be as normal as possible. And we have, you know, at the time, my, my son, um, you know, when I was re-diagnosed was, uh, was, you know, 10, 11 years old. So it, it was important for me, for her, to be with him and to take care of him. And, and, and that made me feel better. So, so I went through a lot of my treatments and trips back and forth to Houston uh, alone. You know, I had friends and family that, that would make the trips with me sometimes, but, um, but, but uh, emotionally for me and, and my, my, um, my uh, well-being uh, uh, mentally was knowing that she was at home with our son, making sure things were as normal as possible uh, for him. So that that kind of put me at ease also. And, and then as I progressed through the trial and, and things were getting better and, and my lesions were shrinking and eventually I had a complete response, you know, it, 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 it kind of, you know, fell into this new normal again of, you know, hey, things are going to be better. So so it was a, it was it was it was tough, you know, not not kind of doing it on my own, but at the same time, it was it was better for my well-being knowing that that she was at home taking care of our son and trying to make things as normal as possible for him. That makes sense. I, you know, for me, when it comes to like appointments and like surveillance, it was funny. We were my partner and I were talking. And he wanted to come to like an appointment. I'm like, oh no, it's just a routine thing. And I'm like, yeah. you know, it's really weird that I just call like a cancer related doctor's appointment as just routine. And we laughed yeah. about it, but it's like, we were, we had an open conversation about like those points where I really do need him there versus like, Hey, don't worry about taking the day off of work. Cause it might, as your wife, you know, might worry him like, oh, I should have been there. Like I, yeah. I, you know, but it's like, no, I just needed to text you to let you know I was upset. Like it's just yeah. me expressing myself. You don't actually physically have to be here, but Hey, this appointment coming up where I'm talking to the oncologist. Yes, please be there. Cause yeah. even if it's good no news, I still need like that support. So it, yeah, it's just thinking about the ways in which it's like, what do I really need versus, you know, yeah, just really what there is no verses there. It's just you know, what do right. I really need and how we make that happen. Nicole, I, I feel like you had a response to that. I, I know I'm rambling. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, be, again, being able to communicate what you need and that's going to change. Um, and this is for everyone. Um, you know, when you are in that relationship, 
um, being able to communicate, hey, uh, you know, I really need you at this appointment because I'm really worried and what we may find out could be pretty impactful. Um, and I may need some of that additional support or to be able to say like, hey, I've got this. This is, this appointment is absolutely fine because maybe your partner or your spouse, whomever, um, is saying, hey, I want to go with you to every appointment. You don't need to go with me to every appointment. That's okay. Um, I I love that you want to support me in that way. But, you know, if there are appointments where, you know, maybe something has come back and, or there's something that could be a little bit more weighty, um, certainly I need you there. But, you know, I, I hope that if on the off chance something does happen and, you know, I can either, you know, call you or, you know, that night or whenever can sit down and, and kind of share where I am um, and make a plan. I think that it's just, again, really um, communicating that because, again, it's opening that door. Um, it's saying, you know, for your, your partner, hey, I want to go because I'm worried okay, well, let's figure this out together. How can we yeah. How can we navigate this so that we're both feeling pretty comfortable um, and, and kind of getting those needs met? I, I also think a part of this too is having the conversation about how and when you need them and when you need to rely on something else. I think sometimes that that can be a hard thing to navigate when you don't need your partner or your caregiver to be there for you when they want to be there. So what are some ways to navigate that or to talk about that where you're like, you know, I love you. You're great. You're a great support system, but you're not the person I need to have this discussion about my, my issues or the, the experiences I'm having. What are just, what are some ways to kind of manage that conversation and that dynamic of the relationship? Yeah, I mean, I think you, I, I've seen it done a lot of different ways, or I've heard people share lots of different ways that they've approached it. I think oftentimes it's just having regular check-ins, um, seeing like having these little regular mini state of the unions, where are we, what's going on? Um, what do we have coming up is, you know, what kind of support do you need? Um, how can I be there? Do you need me there? Um, and it's giving uh, an opportunity in kind of a non-pressured way for, for the, for the person to say, well, okay, no, I don't need you at these appointments next week. I've got them or actually, you know, a friend was actually going to take me to this doctor's appointment because we were going to get coffee um, beforehand. So you don't need to worry about that. That can, you know, you don't have to schedule around or anything like that. Um, it can be awkward um, for both folks because again, both people are kind of coming at it with some expression of need. Like, I, I want to be there to support you. I want to make sure I know um, how I can do that. And that's part of it. Like using this as a just a place where you can understand what, I think that as a caregiver, always, I think sometimes we have to, recalibrate ourselves to realize that we are here to support our loved one um, and we have to listen to them first and foremost about what it is they need um, and if we have questions um, we we have these times that we can have regular check-ins so that we can ask them um, 
you know, say, hey, I, I was really concerned when we got these test results back. Um, this is something that we need to talk about with the doctor. Um, is it okay if we go if if I come with you to that appointment? Um, so you know, just again, it's just that open. It's going to take some time. Uh, it's going to be awkward, but start finding ways that you can bring up these questions, concerns that you can say, okay, I want to be here. Do you need me here? Or, and being comfortable um, as a care recipient, uh, as, you know, the patient, the care recipient, um, to say in a way that is communicating to your loved one, this is the kind of support that I need. And I appreciate that we have these regular times to talk because these things will change. Um, yeah, you make, a, you make a good point, Nicole, and I didn't mean to cut you off there, but you know, it does change, right? And, and that the support needs do change over time. I think in the beginning, um, you know, when I was initially diagnosed to the time I was re-diagnosed stage four, um, you know, I think I've been told, you know, I have cancer maybe four or five times now or your cancer is back. So in the beginning, like, you know, I needed that, that, that follow, you know, that support you know, during my follow-up visits and, Hey, we might get some bad news today. And, and, you know, eventually, yeah, that bad news did come. And, and but then over time, you know, as, you know, we kind of had a plan and treatment options and so forth, I didn't need her to go every time, you know, now I'm on scans every three months and we never know what the scans are going to say. And it could change from, you know, no evidence of these disease, one, you know, one scan to the next scan of, of, Hey, you're, you know, you have some new lesions that we're watching and I'm at the point now where uh, I don't need um, my caregiver to be there every single appointment. It, it's I'm at the point now where I don't even see the doctor the day after the scan. I just, you know, have them release the scan report and I kind of read it myself and we go over it together. And then, and then we have that plan of, Hey, what, what are my treatment options, you know, going forward if something were to come back? So we try to be in, I try to be proactive and saying, Hey, if, if the scan reports bad, this is the, the, the course of action, or this is the next step, as opposed to, um, uh, anticipating, you know, uh, there, you know, not being anything coming up, we kind of anticipate, Hey, if these come back as, as not great scans, you know, this is the next step. So, so, you know, there, we kind of try to eliminate some of those unknowns ahead of time and, and have a plan with the doctor. ahead of time. Now we have a few minutes left. So I cut, I wanted to wrap up on a positive ish note. You know, uh, I wanted, John, you had mentioned earlier in the conversation that you've come out stronger, you and your part, your wife have come out stronger. I, you know, wrapping up for our listeners, just share with us some of those ways that you, your bond has grown closer and deepened. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we have been blessed with, um, you know, great care. We've been blessed with a great support system. Um, family and friends, and uh, one ways uh, that that have brought us closer, and how we try to uh, deal with this is give back. So we we created a foundation. We have the Feral Foundation um, that we've kind of directed all this negative energy into something positive. And so we launched uh, our foundation in 2017. We have um, uh, several fundraisers uh, throughout the year, with our biggest one being a pub crawl. So uh, a lot of fun there and. And we've been so far able to donate over $100,000 to cancer research. So that how that's how we have kind of taken this, you know, negative on both of our, you know, diagnosis and 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 turn it into a positive. So we we've you know that has brought us closer. Kind of say, hey, what can we do to to give back? What can we do to try to try to change things um, moving forward? And that has helped us tremendously kind of working together um, towards that mission. Nicole, do you have any final words to add, maybe in terms of how your relationships have deepened or ways that, you know, our listeners can deepen their own? Yeah, I, you know, again, I think using this as, you know, always think about how, 
how things that you're putting into place um, are sustainable. So thinking about, you know, by building into your, your relationship, having these ongoing uh, conversations and allowing for that flexibility because, you know, things change um, and, and the, the conversations will vary. Um, it does, I think, build the, a, a better comfort and a, a much deeper, I think, emotional intimacy and uh, uh, more comfort in sharing. Um, it's always important to understand that, you know, you're just there to be each other's support um, and to listen. And, you know, I think I... I always, uh, you know, we're never perfect in in these things. I I know that I have struggled in, you know, I've talked a lot about, you know, open communication and its importance, but there have been times that I have been really kind of caged off and shut down um, in conversations because it's uncomfortable. And it's when I've been able to... Um, step away from that and say, okay, what I need to do is beneficial to me, to my partner or to whomever, and is going to be helpful for us, then that becomes, I think, a little bit more of that push of, okay, let's, let's really work to make sure that we're communicating effectively um, and clearly. And, you know, Sometimes that can uh, mean bringing in some outside help too. Um, if if you really find yourself at a struggle point, that's that's completely fine as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for joining me. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you did too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Kinney Cancer Unfiltered, brought to you by the Kinney Cancer Association. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to get episodes weekly. And if you like the show, we'd love it if you left a review. It really helps others find us. Thanks again for listening. For more information about kidney cancer, visit the Kinney Cancer Association online at kinneycancer.org.